What an absolute joy it is to see your beautiful... Actually, I almost can see... Now I can see your beautiful faces. My name is Ray, one of the pastors here. If you're here for the first time, a warm welcome. I love it when people bow before me, I just feel maybe. <laughs> I think I just did blasphemy then, I'm sorry, especially given the passage I'm about to preach. Uh, friends, uh, okay, it's confession time. Who went to Two Seasons or Creekside before they came here because they forgot it was at the agenda? Don't be afraid now, it's, you're in a safe place, oh, that's it, okay, well, well done for you for not giving up, I want a 10 out of 10. Now, I want to say this. I've got a word from the Lord, boys and girls, teenagers, adults. I've got a word from the Lord for you. You ready for it? It's a heavy word, really. Fear the Lord. You know why? So you can serve the Lord without fear. Fear the Lord. Why? So that you can serve the Lord without fear. You know, in life, there are moments which are what I call wow moments, uh, joyful, and there are woe moments where I think, oh, I'm so terrified. And sometimes they all come packaged in the same thing, where you're kind of, your breath's taken away by some experience. Maybe you look over a cliff's edge. Whoa, wow. Maybe you're staring in front of a fire. If you've been in a, in a bushfire or a forest fire, oh dear, it's going to consume me. Maybe it's, um, uh, you've had uh, lost control of your car and shakes the head road and you're thinking, I'm in trouble here. And maybe you're just standing before a ferocious animal and you think, I'm dead. Uh, my dear wife, Sandy, who did the children's talk, when she was 19, tell you what, she is and was good looking, eh? Eh? Of course. She was bushwalking and she met a, a face on experience with a, a king brown snake. They're very venomous back in Australia. She had eye to eye contact with this snake and it was swaying and it was ready to bite and she was told to be still. And that, you know that, whoa, I'm about to die. And then when the snake slithered away, that, wow, what an amazing experience. And in case you're wondering, it can't happen to you in Dubai, in the building next door, someone spotted a sign that said, beware of snakes. <laughs> yeah, you're all a bit nervous now. <laughs> but I'm sure that's uh, 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 not, not to be worried about. Now, can I say this? The, um, uh, Isaiah here has a vision of nothing less than the holiness of God, and it is what takes his breath away. It is a wow experience to begin with, a vision of God the Holy King. Let's look at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In the year that one king dies, we're reminded of a vision of a living God who never dies. Our God is a God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Amen? And he's sitting on what? A throne. And that's telling us one thing. He alone rules. He alone is in charge. Yes, good news. There's someone who is in charge in this world, and it's not you and it's not me. It is the living Lord God. He is the King of kings. And you notice he is high and exalted. That is to say, we do not look down on this king as though he were our servant. We do not look out on this king as though he were a peer, a buddy, a mate, a peer, a, uh, a homeboy. 
No, we look up high and exalted. He's above us and beyond us. So different from us. We're so different from him. He truly is holy. He is the exalted one. And you notice there too, he's actually a majestic God. Do you see the way in which the robe, his robe, which is a picture of his glory, fills the temple? Um, on March the 12th, March the 20th, 2012, Guinness Book of Records was broken. A bride had a, a wedding train, get this ladies, not yet 2.7 kilometers long. Imagine dragging that sucker around with you. That's one. But that kind of points to her, you know, magnificence, really. Well, God's robe fills the temple in a way that his glory fills the earth. It's like air. It's everywhere. All pointing to the breathtaking majesty, the greatness of the God we worship. And he is the Lord Almighty. Literally, it means the Lord of the armies, the heavenly armies, one of those in his armies are seraphims. The only time they're named in the Bible here, though they, are, they do pop up elsewhere, in verse 2, take a, take a look at these seraphims for a moment. Chapter 6, verse 2. Above him were seraphims, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, why don't you say these words with me nice and loud as though you too were in heaven right now? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Wow. The seraphim, the name means burning ones, and they're burning with passion for the holiness of God. I wonder if you're passionate about the holiness of God. And their two wings cover their eyes. Why? Even though they're without sin, they're unworthy to gaze upon God and unable for God. Uh, sorry, they're unable to gaze upon God and unworthy to have Him gaze upon them. They are so aware of who He is and who they are that their wings cover their eyes. Two other wings are causing them to fly. They're kind of like bouncing off the walls, declaring in praise and worship again and again and again. One word that they repeat over and over to emphasize and drill into our understanding. Do we understand who God is? Because he is not just holy. He is not just holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy is the Lord, just as we've sung. The Lord Almighty the whole earth is full of his glory. You know, in heaven, there are some songs you're never going to get bored singing, and that's one of them. 26 times in Isaiah, he calls God the Holy One of Israel. But what do we mean by holy? You know, basically, it means to be different, to be separate, really separate. You know, people spend lots of money traveling the world looking for something different, only to come back and discover they've only, they've, you know, they've only seen something that's just another version of what they already had in their home country. But here, this is totally unique. When we mean holy, we mean holy in the sense that he is in a class of his own. In Isaiah 46, God says of himself, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I will not share my glory with another. Whoa. But it's more than just his unique. It's got to do with his character. 
that his very nature is such that his judgments are always just, they're always, they're always right, that his laws are always righteous, that his ways are always pure. He, you know, in him there is, God is light, in him there is no darkness whatsoever. Perfectly holy. And a holy God is calling a people to be holy like him. It's, you know, our goal at fellowship is not to establish large crowds. This is beautiful. This is wonderful. This to me is like a high point and a picture of heaven. But what Jesus, what God really wants and what our Lord really wants is this, to grow fully devoted disciples of Jesus who are passionate to be holy as God is holy to be a holy light to the people of Dubai and not some fractured mirror. You know, in every church that I've ever been to, in every church around the world, there are people, brothers and sisters, who love the Lord but are holding back from serving. You know why? Because they're feeling shame. Shame that they've had no victory over some particular sin in their life. And it's different for each person, you know. It might be gambling, it might be drugs, it might be alcohol, it might be a, a refusal to forgive somebody, it might be bitterness, it might be greed. But you've kind of given up hope that you'll ever change, and so you're filled with shame. So you feel then unworthy to serve and play your part in the church of God. I'm telling you this, God has sent his Holy Spirit to transform you. A holy God has sent a Holy Spirit and he's committed to transforming you from one degree of glory to the next. I know we would like 100 degrees of glory, but it's, he's a patient spirit who just works progressively on us. So don't ever think you have to take those sins to the grave with you. There is hope. The Spirit has been given to you and we at Fellowship want to journey with you as one person who breaks is, is, is struggles with sin, we walk alongside others who struggle with sin so that we may be more and more like Jesus, less and less like this world. Amen? Amen. Now, the sound of the praise of the seraphim, wow, it blows the place apart. It shakes the foundation of the temple. Isaiah is in sensory overload. It's like he's at a 3D IMAX movie. Sight, sound, touch, a sort of dominant Go to you. Now he stands before a holy God and says, woe is me. <laughs> woe is me. Confession before a holy God. You know, it's funny, when you have a very clear picture of the holiness of God, you will spend less time worrying about the sins of others, more time worrying about your own sins. But if you have a very small God, you will focus on the failures of others way more than the failures of yourself. So Isaiah is not taking comfort here that others may be worse than him, and they were. But all you see is him before a holy God, and in verse 5, and again, I'd love us to say this together because it's a big room. We need to sort of say it with oomph. That one of the great confessions together, woe to me, I cry. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In the presence of such holiness, there's only one comeback. I'm gone. I'm ruined. I'm smashed. When I was 10 years old, I got off the bus with my school friends, and we were walking past a house, and there was this Italian plumber uh, who was working on the house. And one of my friends decided to 
um, you know, cause some trouble. So he started pressing his car horn, and the Italian plumber would come out of the house, and he was really angry, and he would chase us, and we'd run, and then we'd come back, and then another friend would put their hand in the car and press the car horn, and the Italian plumber would come out again and chase us, and, you know, he'd be angry, and we'd run off, and then he'd go back into the house, and we'd come back. It must have happened four or five times. Well, eventually, uh, the guy said, hey, Ray, you haven't done it yet. It's your turn. So I said, well, I'm going to do it. I'm really going to do it. So I walk up, and as I'm about to press the car horn for a really long time, he pops up from in front of the car. I was expecting him in the house. Ah, I'm terrified. Uh, he's a big guy, right? And he grabs me, and he throws me in the front seat of the car, and he takes off in the direction of the police station. And I remember it so clearly because I'm sitting in the front seat. There's me, there's him, and there's his big toilet in between us because he's a plumber, right? Now, the police station was a long way away, and I'm saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But sorries didn't seem to cut it with this guy. Anyway, now I'm standing in front of a police sergeant at the police station after he's been told what the major crimes that I've done. And, and, and the policeman, he's angry with me, and he's big, and he's standing behind a bench. And, and I'm, gonna, I'm only 10, any 10-year-olds 10 here? Okay, I'm your age. And I'm looking up, and I'm thinking, I am in so much trouble. He's threatening to throw me into jail. And all I can think of is, oh, what is my father going to say? What is my father going to say? Now, of course, he wasn't serious about throwing me into jail. I'm pretty sure pressing someone's car horn doesn't warrant that. But God is very serious about his uncompromising holiness. Think about it. Genesis 3, our holy God. How many sins did Adam and Eve commit before God deemed them unfit to be in his holy presence? Just one. One sin, and they're evicted from the presence of God, and every human as a result of that dies. Wow. There is the holiness of God. And so the question is raised, well, who can stand in the presence of such a holy God? You know, when Peter saw Jesus, God in the flesh, perform his miracles of nature, his response to him in Luke 5, verse 8, was this. And it's an interesting response. He says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord. But of course, God didn't want to go away. He wanted to come and forgive. This is so different from my culture's aggressively casual way in which we talk about God. I grew up with, I can tell you, quite a number of people who would say to me, well, wait till I meet God face to face. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. What? You're an idiot. Don't you know how holy God is? You don't stand a chance. Because our culture has put uh, us on the throne instead of God. It has told us that we're inherently good and that we are unique. And what this vision of God's holiness does is it dismantles the myth and the lies of our self-importance. It just humbles us and it is a good thing. Isaiah sees the vision of a holy God and he is rightly terrified. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. That's interesting, isn't it? That he picks up the lips because the lips 
From the lips come words, and words are always, always a window into our hearts. You know the words that have left your lips. You only have to think about the last seven days. The gossip, the slander, the rage, the lies, the lies, the sarcasm, the swearing, the blasphemy. You get the idea. Jesus says we'll be judged by every word that we speak. Okay, whoa. So Isaiah has this very deep sense that, that he's in serious trouble. You add one holy God to an unholy people, you've got trouble. And all you get from him is, woe is me, for I am ruined. I'm undone. You know, when the police sergeant eventually let me go, I said, thank you, thank you, officer. I said, but how do I get home? Because, like, I really lived a long way from the police station. And I always remember his words. He said this, mate, he's Australian, right? Mate, you got yourself into this trouble. You can get yourself out of it. (laughs) Ah, dear. You got yourself into this trouble. You can get yourself out of it. And I think that's probably what religions are always saying to people. You got yourself into it. You can get yourself out of it. And, you know, and if you think that our guilt is just a psychological problem, then, you know, book, your, book yourself into a therapist, go to a self-esteem group and learn to forgive yourself, you know, that, if you think that's the problem. But the problem we're dealing with is God is righteously angry with us because of our sin. That's what Isaiah knows. Woe is me, I'm gone. But God is saying, in these next verses, he's saying, you got yourself into this mess, but I'm here to get yourself out of it. And now we go to the wow, cleansed before a holy God. Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Why don't you finish the sentence with me? Guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. God has done what you and I couldn't do. These, he directs the seraphim to take the coal that fuel the sacrificial altar, place it on his lips, cleanses his mouth and his heart, removes his sin, and atones for his guilt. Hang on, how does a piece of coal do that? <laughs> it's only charcoal. For that, this is a symbol, of course, isn't it? We know from the book of Hebrews that the, bo- the blood of bulls and goats can't remove any sin. That's why Christians don't have animal sacrifices. No, no. For that, we wait for seven centuries. Wow. Remember Isaiah, 8th century BC. We wait for the time when our Lord Jesus would arrive, when John the Baptist, the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, would point to Jesus and say, this is the Lamb of God. Who? takes away the sin of the world. Who takes away the sin of the world. That the one who was enthroned in that vision as the holy God and king, Jesus, is the one who climbs down from his heavenly throne, becomes human, and then climbs up upon that earthly cross. And that he who knew no sin became our sin so that in him he might, we might become 
the righteousness of God and the holiness of God. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus is saying, you got yourself into this mess and I alone can get you out. And I've done that at the cross for you. Can you imagine the relief Isaiah is feeling when he heard those words, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. He must have been so happy, just like Marlena from Poland, who was here on Easter Sunday and discovered Jesus. Let's turn to the screens and then I'll come back with a few more words. I dared to come here on the Easter service this year. So it's been maybe six months now. Yeah, six months. I just felt like, what is a better day to go and meet Jesus if it's not the Easter Sunday, you know? I was like, it's today or never, you know? Um, I remember at the, at the end of the service, um, they asked for those who, who are for the first time and they feel like, they want to learn more. They want to experience Jesus to raise their hands. And I felt my heart pounding, you know, like I felt like, oh my gosh, this is the moment, this is the moment. And I, I raised my hand and I was like literally shaking because for me it was such a groundbreaking experience. You know, it was like kind of disconnecting from the past and being open for what's coming next. And uh, I remember at the screen um, they were advertising for the course um, uh, all about Jesus, Christianity Explained. And luckily it was also at the Creekside, which is the side that uh, is closer to me. It's, uh, so I was like, okay, this is it. I need that. I need someone to break it down for me and tell me what does it mean to be Christian? Because at the end of the day, I didn't know what it means because I had this, this, this ideas from my parents that this is all my job. It doesn't have any, you know, any evidence that Jesus actually lived, you know, um, this is all my job. So it was so nice to see and so calming for me to see like, no, there's plenty of evidence. And um, I remember after one of the services, I went in tears to Pastor Barak. I was like, I'm, I'm not worthy to, to receive the gift. I mean, I can't. I mean. He took all of our sin, you know, it's... There's no words to describe it, really. Do you know the, the, the song, Run to the Father? Um, I love the moment when, when he sings, I don't have a context for that kind of love. And this is something that really sticks to me. Like, this is, this, the love that Jesus has for us is so overwhelming that I could not believe that someone can love so unconditionally. How he suffered for us, the sinner's death on the cross. I mean, I come from a medical background and I can't stop myself from thinking what was happening to his body on this cross, you know? I mean, it's just, it just blows my mind. Um, I never got baptized because, I mean, I separated from religion very early. Um, so I wanted to do that. It gives you a full new identity, you know? So that was a very emotional day also for me. Um, so yeah, it almost feels impossible, but then when you think about it, Jesus, nothing is impossible for Jesus. So 
I received the invitation from him. It took me a while, but I received it. And my life is much better now. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I can take say it better than this. Man, that was encouraging. Like Marlena, so Isaiah 2,700 years ago. Same reality, same holy God, same sinners like you and me before a holy God asking for mercy and receiving it. Isaiah is now, like Marlena, like many of you, a totally forgiven man. He is what Israel could have been. He is what you and I are in Christ Jesus. He is what some of you could be this very day if only you would say yes to Jesus. Whether you're here or online, we would love you to say yes to this Savior. Yes, fear God, fear the Lord, absolutely. Why? So that you can serve the Lord without fear, filled with joy and thanksgiving. And so now we get, we've heard the woe and the wow, now it's the go. Isaiah is commissioned by a holy God, and in a way, so are we. Verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. This is the first time God speaks in the whole vision. There's a job to be done. Who is going to announce the good news? And Isaiah is so thankful for being forgiven, just like Marlena, that he's bursting to serve. And he says, Lord, send me. I'll do it. And it's interesting. He doesn't ask when, how, why. He just says, whatever you want, I'm going to do. You've given me everything. What can I do for you? Now, interestingly, God doesn't tell him then what he's going to say. He actually is telling him then the effect of his preaching. And it's not good. <laughs> and I just want to flag with you, it's a bit of a counterpoint to what we experience. Look at verse 9. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull, close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. In other words, God is saying to Isaiah, your particular unique ministry is this. You're going to be preaching, and so will the prophets ahead of you for the next 700 years, and they will not listen. <laughs> you will be speaking, and they will not be understanding. And he says, well, how, for how long? And, he, and, and, and God says to him, until the people become no more than a charred stump. That's a metaphor. You know, through exile, through being hammered by one nation after another, till finally they'll reject the Messiah. And, and you think, my goodness, it, it's that the preaching of Isaiah will function to harden hard hearts. Not harden soft hearts, but it will actually harden hard hearts. And you think, what a, what a tough gig that one is. I mean, you need to be like the the Scottish preacher John Knox, who was said of him, he feared the face of God so much, he never feared the face of any man. Because I think that's pretty much what Isaiah needed to be. But that's not your ministry and mine, no. Because you get to Acts 28, right at the very end of the book of Acts, after Jesus has risen and uh, died and risen, and the good news has gone from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And we're in Acts 28, Paul is under house arrest in Rome. Some Jewish leaders come to him and they say, you know, why are you here? Why, are you, why, are you, why have they imprisoned you? And he says, because I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Forgiveness is found in him. They say pretty much rubbish, except for a few. So most rejected. 
And then he says this to them in Acts 28, 28. Get ready for it, friends. He says this. He says, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? The nations, us. Okay, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the nations. And what? Finish the sentence. One more time. And they will listen. Do you understand the era that you and I live in? I tell you, we live in the good days. You know, people say the, the good old days. Forget that. I'm glad I live now and not in the era of Isaiah. Isaiah had a very tough gig. He was told that he's going to be preaching to blockheads. That is, it, it won't get through. But you and I, we live in the era of reaping. The message of salvation is going to the nations and? And? And they will listen. This is the era of reaping, not just sowing. Do you believe that? That's why we approach God's vision for the nations optimistically and with confidence. Why? Because God's message of salvation will go to the nations and, and they will listen. Sure, different times, different places, more fruit, less fruit. I understand all that. But I tell you, I remember the time I read this verse for the first time and I was stunned. You know, there are three billion people in this world, at least, who not only don't follow Jesus, don't even know a follower of Jesus, don't even know the church of Jesus Christ in their area. There are 200 nations who have come to Dubai, and what we're told is they are more hungry to listen than we generally are to speak. And God is saying, not only will I be with you as you do that, understand, you live in the era of reaping. They will listen. But you know what our problem is? We believe in a God who can, but probably won't. <laughs> we believe in a God who can, absolutely, he can do anything, but probably won't. Now, I think we fall into that problem whether it's to do with our, those sins that we constantly fail in and we just kind of give up that God will ever change us. But I think that's true of, of the people in our lives. We want them to, to know Jesus. We're, ah, they won't <laughs> I won't have victory over that sin. They won't become believers. But this message is a challenge to that lie. We believe in a God who can and will. They will listen. So brothers and sisters, friends, boys and girls, teenagers, pray. Pray that God will give us a permit, that the rulers will give us a permit. Pray that God will raise up workers for the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, says Jesus, and the workers are you. That's bad maths. <laughs> and consider you actually might be that worker. And then thirdly, pray. Pray that you have a posture of saying to this holy God who has cleansed you from all sin, send me, Lord. I don't know where, how. Send me to my workplace to be that light to my community, to my sporting contest. Send me. I want to be your ambassador. And then let's pray. Let's pray for those who are here for the first time, who, like Marlena, back in Easter, in this very same hall, put up a hand and said, I want to follow Jesus. Friends, fear the Lord so you can serve the Lord without fear. What a great God we worship. Amen? Amen indeed. Let's pray. Oh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Your glory fills the earth. Lord, you are a holy God, and we want to we be a holy people. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for removing our guilt, 
for atoning for our sins. And today we say thank you for those friends of ours who for the very first time are saying yes to you, Lord Jesus, who have had their sins removed, their guilt atoned for. Lord, help us to believe the message of salvation, that the nations will listen, that we live in the era of reaping, that you are not a God who can but probably won't. You are a God who can and will. Empower us by your spirit to say with Isaiah, send me, Lord, send me. It'll look different for each of us, Lord, but send us. Give us a holy passion for the nations that they may treat you, God, worthy of all the praise and honour, for you are a holy God. And we pray for your glory, for our good, for their good, and all in Jesus' name. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen.